Show us your steadfast love, O God, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for God will speak peace to God's people, to God's faithful, to those who turn to God in their hearts. God, this morning we turn our hearts towards you. We pray that you would renew us again, revive us again, that you would show us your steadfast love, and that you would speak peace to us. Amen. Our reading this morning is all about prayer. Luke, maybe more than any other gospel, paints a picture of Jesus as someone who prayed regularly and often. To say that prayer was important to Jesus seems almost too uh, inaccurate. It's more like prayer is intrinsic to who Jesus is. Throughout this gospel of Luke, Jesus withdraws to solitary places to pray. And uh, often before important things happen in the gospel of Luke, Jesus prays. So there are stories that are in the other gospels as well, but in the other gospels, things just happen. But in Luke, often first Jesus is praying or goes somewhere to pray, and then this big thing happens. For example, when Jesus is baptized uh, in the other gospels, he comes out of the water and instantly a dove or the spirit comes down and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I, in whom I am well pleased. But in Luke, Jesus is baptized, and then he starts praying, and then the Spirit comes down. And um, before Jesus asks the disciples this important question, first, who do people say that I am, and then, who do you say that I am? And it's the first time that the disciples say, you're the Messiah, that they realize who he is. First, before Jesus asks this question, he's praying, and then out of his time of prayer, it prompts this question, which leads to a revelation of who he is. In the transfiguration, when Jesus meets with Elijah and Moses on top of the mountain, uh, what is he doing first? He goes to the mountain to pray with James and John and Peter. Um, and then, of course, we all know about the Mount of Olives because it's on the stained glass behind us. Before Jesus' passion, before he's arrested and crucified, he prays. And in Luke's account, he has so much anxiety and so much stress that his sweat becomes like great drops of blood. So Jesus is a person of prayer. And not only is Jesus one whose life is marked by prayer, but so also is the early church who tried to figure out how do we follow Jesus after he had ascended. Um, the early church in Acts, which is also written by Luke, is repeatedly praying uh, as part of their kind of daily communal practices. And then, of course, the letters we have from Paul and James and Peter and John and other New Testament writers are always either encouraging the churches they write to to pray, or they're assuming already that they are people who pray. So we all kind of know that prayer is a thing that Christians do often. If I were to ask you if prayer is a, an important part of the Christian life, I'm guessing that most of us would say yes. And at the same time, if I were to ask you personally, do you have a strong prayer life? I would also guess that most of us would say, mm, not really. Myself included, although I'm working on it. Uh, prayer is one of those things that we know is important, 
and yet we often find it very hard to do. And then to make things worse, because we feel like it's important, and, but we don't feel like we do it enough, then inevitably we feel guilty. So when we hear scriptures about prayer or when we see that the pastor is going to preach on prayer, our first thought is actually like, oh man, I don't pray enough and I'm going to feel guilty during this sermon. Maybe. I have felt that way. Often, like the disciples, we don't know how to pray. We need someone to teach us. Well, thankfully, in our reading today, Jesus gives some concrete instructions on how to go about praying. In fact, he gives too many directions for one sermon. Uh, So it starts with this shorter account of the Lord's Prayer, shorter than the one from Matthew that we're used to. And that's the one we're going to pray today from in our bulletins. It's a shorter version. Then he goes on to this illustration of this neighbor who annoys another neighbor until finally that neighbor gets up and gives him bread. And then there's... uh, And then... Jesus goes into this, like, even though you're humans who are evil, which is a little harsh, I feel like, even though you evil humans know how to give good gifts, uh, shouldn't the, the Father also know how to give what is needed? So there's, like all, there's a few different teachings, and like scholars think that probably these teachings actually happened at different times, and then Luke kind of compiled these different teachings on prayer. Um, so, like I said, there's too much to talk about everything. Believe me, I spent most of the week trying to figure out a way to talk about everything, and it just won't work. So I want to kind of focus on one more obscure um, part of this teaching from Jesus, and I want to use that as kind of a jumping-off point to talk about three different approaches to prayer. Um, I, so I want to focus in on verses 9 and 10, which say... So I say to you, ask, and you will be given. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So I want to use ask as the jumping off point for one kind of approach or type of prayer. And then I want to talk about uh, seek as a different kind of prayer. And finally, knocking as a third type of prayer. Just to be clear, it's not that I did some really good scholarly work and I know my Greek super well and these words mean special things. I'm basically just doing my own thing and being creative about how I'm interpreting these words. But I think there's a, there's a letter where Paul is writing a letter and he, where Paul's writing and he says, this isn't from God, but I'm pretty sure that God's on board with what I'm doing. And that's basically what I'm saying right now, all right? This isn't from God, but I think that God is down with what I'm saying. Um, So let's start with asking. Asking uh, in this, in Jeremy's analogies, represents the most fundamental, basic form of prayer. Asking is circumstantial. It's focusing on the little picture. Asking comes when we need something. So um, Esther still can't talk very well. Uh, but she's learned exactly two um, signs. One is all done, and the other is more. And since she doesn't know how to say, can I have that, or I want that over there, more just means I want something, anything. So it doesn't have to be more of something. It could be the first time she's seen it or had it. So we're at uh, Mitch's, Mitch and Kelsey's and, and Malachi's and Jack's house last night, and um, there was chocolate cake. And Esther can't have chocolate cake yet, but she saw, I was trying to eat it without her seeing, and she's going, more, 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 right? And she does a noise, guh, guh, guh. Esther sees something that she wants, and so she asks 
for it. That is what this first kind of prayer is like. And growing up, this was the primary way that I understood prayer. Uh, As a little kid, before I went to bed, I always prayed with my parents, and every night I would pray that I wouldn't have any bad dreams and that my parents wouldn't have any bad dreams and my sister wouldn't have any bad dreams and all of our pets also wouldn't have any bad dreams. Um, So I saw this need. I did not want to have bad dreams, and so I asked God to meet that need in the immediate, like, that night, don't let us have any bad dreams. In a more recent example, I was, uh, just yesterday, Esther and I went to, to run errands, and Esther does not transition from the car to her crib well if she falls asleep in the car. So I had to get the errands done before she fell asleep so that I could finish writing this sermon uh, while she was sleeping. And not only, I didn't, I didn't just fail, I failed like epically. She fell asleep before we even got to the car, she fell asleep in the stroller uh, at Ikea, and then I got her into the car and she was still sleeping, and then I started to pray. And I prayed, God, please help Esther to transition into the crib well so I can write my sermon. So that would be an example of this kind of prayer that I'm talking about. Um, And I think, unfortunately, this is often as far as many of us get in prayer. We think in this case that that prayer is primarily about sharing our needs with God. And there's nothing wrong with sharing our needs with God. Jesus tells us in our teaching today uh, to ask God for our daily bread. And when we ask, we're acknowledging that we need things, we're inviting God into our life, we're reminding ourselves that God cares about our material needs, not just high, lofty spirituality. So it's, it's good, um, but the only problem is when this is the only form of prayer that we know. If this is the only kind of prayer that we know, then God becomes pretty much just reactionary. God has little to do with our lives unless we have something we need God to do, Right? And so God becomes kind of a genie in in a bottle that we throw out requests to, and maybe God responds, or maybe God doesn't. Um, The other thing is that this kind of prayer really requires a lot from us, because we have to fill this time of prayer with words and thoughts. We have to come up with what we need to tell God, and so it's really largely based on what we can come up with. And so if we can't come up with anything, then we feel like, The point of praying is that we talk to God about something. If we don't have anything to talk about, then we don't pray. And so that leads us to not being very big on this whole prayer thing. So the first type of prayer is asking. The second type of prayer is seeking. Seek, and you will find, Jesus says. I think seeking is about the big picture. Seeking implies a kind of desire, more than just, I want this, that, but you're seeking something out. I think of like treasure hunters or miners or people who give their life to finding something and risk great, you know, personal danger. Um, I'm reading The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I'm reading through the Chronicles of Narnia right now, and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, they're like all on this ship, and they're going into the unknown east where no one has been, trying to find these seven lords who disappeared, right, and they're facing sea monsters and all kinds of crazy things, but they Uh, they're seeking these people, they're desiring to find them, and uh, if they can, bring them home or make sure they're safe or whatever. Um, So when I say seeking, I'm thinking that it requires desiring, like like our lives are seeking God. How do we live lives of um, seeking God? 
Another good picture of this would be the Goonies, when this group of kids uh, goes looking for One-Eyed Willie's treasure, and there's booby traps ahead of them, and there's these criminals behind them, and you'd think that the first thing they would want to do is just get out of there and escape, but no, they keep pressing on to find the treasure. And that might remind us of what Paul says in Philippians. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul was someone who sought uh, Christ, sought Christ's leading. He, we know he was shipwrecked and he was imprisoned and most likely he was martyred under Nero. And so Paul is someone who uh, prayed with this kind of seeking God uh, that I'm talking about. There are a number of times that I have sought God's will in prayer, but as I thought about it, one specific example came to mind. Um, I had been out of college for about, I don't even know if it had been a year yet, and I was living with this great family, the Pauls, up in northeast Portland, and I was working at a coffee shop that I had initially been very excited to work at, but I was realizing I didn't want to work in coffee forever, and I was also uh, engaged and was going to be getting married, and I was engaged to a very hardworking, driven woman, and I realized I don't know what I'm doing with my life, and I'm kind of an adult now, and I need to figure it out, and I remember being in their living room by myself and just overcome with, like, anxiety and feeling overwhelmed, and so I got on my knees and knelt on their couch looking out their front window, and I don't remember my exact words, but I just prayed, God, show me what I'm supposed to do. And it wasn't just like, I need a job. It was like, I want to live a life that is following Christ, but I don't know what you want from me, so please help me. Like, please call me into something. And the clouds parted, and God said, you're going to be the pastor of Grant Park Church. <laughs> uh, not really, but I think that that started my path towards grad school, which then I was like, what do I want to do in grad school? Seminary, and finally, uh, I was here. So that's the, that's the short version. Um, so that would be an example of, of me that when I sought God kind of in this way. And I'm guessing that all of us have felt overwhelmed, have felt anxious. Um, I think this kind of seeking also has to do a lot with meaning, because as we seek God, as we seek meaning in our lives, as people who believe that we're made in the image of God, made for relationship with God, then inevitably as we seek meaning and fulfillment, we also seek God. Um, Scripture says that God gives us the desires of our hearts, which I don't think means that God gives us whatever we want. I think it means God gives us what the desires are. So God gives us the desires of our hearts. Um, but we don't only need to seek God when we're in the midst of these big, life-changing, dramatic, you know, what am I supposed to do with my life type situations. Uh, I think all of us can seek to live lives committed to following Jesus, and probably most of us will not be changed, or lives won't be dramatically changed in some way. Um, God will probably continue to have us be where we are and be in the work we're in and the families we're in and all of that, but I think maybe the way that we go about that day-to-day -day stuff would change. Maybe we wouldn't just go to work and hope to get through the day, but we would think, how can I love my coworkers? How can I be a source of joy and light when we go to practice or take our kids to practice or when we 
go to board meetings, like church board meetings, uh, we might think, how can I be a light? How can I be um, an image of Christ to these people that I'm coming in contact with? So the second form of prayer is kind of big picture. It's seeking God's leading, God's calling on our lives. And just to be clear, this doesn't like exclude the first one. I think it, the first one is wrapped up in it. As we seek God in all of our lives, inevitably we would also share with God those things we need. All right, the third form. Third form of prayer or approach to prayer is knocking. When, I, what, when you think of knocking, what do you think of? Occasionally, people knock on my office door, but usually I knock on people's front door of their home. When I go to someone's house, I knock on their door. I kind of hate doorbells. It seems so, like, abrupt, but I, I want to knock on someone's door. And so I think that knocking has to do with home. Knocking has to do with making God our home. Another way of saying this is that I think this form of prayer is about abiding in God. And while asking is about the little picture and seeking is about the big picture, abiding, knocking, home is about the eternal. It's about something that is beyond time. It's about the very presence of God. In fact, that is the aim of this third form of prayer, the very presence of God. We don't seek anything specifically. We aren't asking for anything we long only for the merging of our lives with the life of God, our consciousness with God's consciousness. We seek the mind of Christ. And this is what people often refer to when they talk about contemplative prayer. Um, there's this amazing interview with Rowan Williams um, on, the, on the Nomad podcast. I've already told you all about the Nomad podcast before. You really should listen to it, but this... I listened to this interview with Rowan Williams like months ago, and um, I went to re-listen to it this week in preparation for this sermon, and I had to stop listening because I was trying to transcribe like every line that Rowan Williams said because it was so good. Uh, but there was one that stood out to me, and Rowan Williams is talking about this contemplative prayer, this third type. And he says that, the aim of it is that the link, the connection, the communion between the individual and God is being renewed. He says that I'm giving God some opportunity of communicating or sharing, which would not be there if I were just talking busily or acting frantically. It's a time when I think, and this is the best part, I'm allowing God to get at me or get to me. And therefore hoping that sort of steady drip of God's presence erodes some of the more stony habits and assumptions inside. I love that image of God getting at us. How often do you think of prayer as a chance for God to get at you? In the first two types of prayer, we're essentially talking about how we can get at God. How can we make requests so that God will give us what we need? How can we Pray so that God will give us direction. But this third type requires only that we stop doing anything. Oh, whoops, I skipped ahead a little bit. 
We're not pitching our prayers at God. We're simply receiving from God. But I'm guessing that this type of prayer seems like the most intimidating to us. It seems like the most specialized that we leave to people like Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. It might seem like these three kinds of prayers that I'm describing are like a ladder. And you start on the first one of asking, and then maybe you move up to seeking, and then if you're really specialized and good at it, you get to the third uh, level of contemplation or whatever you want to call it. But I think that this third kind of prayer is actually the starting point. So I guess I kind of lied earlier when I said that the first type was the most fundamental. I think that this third type is the beginning. And the kind of surprising ending of our passage today supports this idea that the aim of prayer is this abiding presence of God. Jesus says, Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The requests are for tangible things, an egg and a fish, but God gives the Holy Spirit. The ultimate goal, the ultimate answer to prayer is the abiding presence of God, where God abides in us and we abide in God. In addition to this being the starting point for our uh, prayers, I believe, I actually want to argue that it's also the easiest kind of prayer. It's the easiest because it demands the least from us. Instead of one more thing to do, instead of us requiring us to fill this time with words and saying the right thing to God and coming up with, uh, did I pray for this person or did I say I'd pray for that or what do I need to pray for, it, re it requires instead only that we stop doing anything. We stop trying to get at God and we let God get at us. We open ourselves to the presence of God. It's often assumed that this has to happen in silence, and that's what I would have said like a week ago, but I'm reading this book for the Living School on uh, contemplative practices in the black church, and the author, Barbara Holmes, argues that the kind of raucous worship services of the black church is actually a contemplative experience where the presence of God is known and felt in uh, the community. But still, for most of us as individuals, I think that uh, a good starting place is in silence. But that silence can be the silence of a drive to work, the silence of 10 minutes during your lunch break, silence at the end of the day, or, as is common, silence at the beginning of your day. Um, I could go on a longer... The sermon's already kind of long, so I'm going to not do this. But I could go on about my own uh, journey with prayer and uh, the difficulties I've had. But when I got out of seminary, I was definitely... I didn't know what to do with prayer or how to pray. And so uh, these last few years, I've really been pursuing that and trying to learn how to pray, um, how to be a person of prayer... And that's why I'm starting at the Living School uh, next week, a week from tomorrow, where I can go study about contemplative practices. Um, so I'm very excited for that. But as I've pursued growing in my life of prayer, uh, I have a practice now. And so let me just tell you what I do uh, if I get up early enough. 
uh, from day to day. I wake up somewhere between 5.30 and 6, and the first thing I do, of course, is start the coffee. And as the coffee brews, I go and I sit in a chair that is kind of upright, not like hard, but it's just, I'm not like lounging. I sit upright, and I begin to repeat the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer is an ancient prayer that comes out of, I think, the Orthodox tradition. And it's based on this parable that Jesus tells of a Pharisee praying and a tax collector praying in the same space. And the Pharisee prays these uh, kind of self-righteous, thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector kind of prayers. And the tax collector, it says, won't even look up to heaven, and he beats his breast, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he's the one, obviously, who goes home justified. So the Jesus prayer is simply, as you breathe in, you say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And as you breathe out, you say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I slowly breathe in and breathe out and repeat this prayer over and over. And some of you might be uncomfortable with this language of sin. Uh, it doesn't bother me a lot. I'm pretty, I know pretty well that I'm a sinner. Uh, but also I think being, talking about sin to me also has to do with the fact that I am part of this world that is broken by sin. I struggle with sin. And so uh, sin to me isn't just like my bad deeds. It's just like this being involved in this world that is not as it should be, and wanting, needing God's help. It's essentially about needing God's mercy, in my mind. But if you don't like the language of sinner, that's totally fine, because Richard Foster has a book on prayer. Not that you need Richard Foster's permission, but uh, Richard Foster has a book on prayer, and he has 21 types of prayer, so I'm only focusing on three, but he has 21. Um, and he talks about, he calls this Jesus prayer a breath prayer. And he encourages people to make their own breath prayer. So maybe you breathe in, you say something different, and as you breathe out, you say something different. But it's this idea that um, if you just sit in silence, probably your mind's going to wander a lot. But if you focus in some way on God, on the Trinity, on Jesus, on one member of the Trinity, um, it helps you kind of keep your thoughts in line. And as I pray this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If different prayer-like requests come up, if I remember someone that I said I'd pray for, if I think about something that I need prayer for, I don't like try and shove it away. I acknowledge it, and then as I continue to pray, I give that to God. And so I imagine bringing it in and giving it away. And then after a few minutes, I don't do it for a super long time, the coffee is done and I pour myself a cup of coffee, and I start my Bible reading. And then if I have time, after the Bible reading, I'll do more like asking prayers. So I believe that if we start with this third type of prayer, if we seek abiding in God's presence, if we knock on the door, the other two will naturally follow. If we abide in Christ, then surely we will share our needs and our anxieties with him. If we abide in Christ, then surely we will seek his will as we go about our days. If our eyes are set on the eternal, then surely the eternal will encompass the day-to-day -day realities of our life. So, friends, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
But first, knock. Because the door is open, the table is set, the parent, the son, and the Holy Spirit are ready to welcome you home. Amen.